0: Well, hello, Pitches. Welcome to another episode of Pitch Slapped. My name is Kayleigh Hillier and this is the fan-made podcast all about Pitch Perfect and the fandom. This week, on our fanfiction highlights, we have got a fanfic about rubber duckies. How that is achieved, we'll find out. Also, a car crash and a new take on what happens after Pitch Perfect 3... Also, I will be speaking to a number of people as we delve into the topic of autism in fanfiction. I was contacted by someone on Tumblr to do an episode about autism representation as they've read a number of fics that deal with this in the fandom. And I was like, you know what? I'm up for the challenge. I'm up to learn more about this. Let's do it. We got the writer, another book, Chloe Shipper, who we caught up with because they have written a fanfic called Chloe and the Music Therapist, which is about Chloe having an autistic daughter and kind of her experience because she actually bases a lot of that on her real life experiences. So we get to talk to her about her fic that she wrote and kind of trying to bring awareness and representation in her fic writing. And then I've also spoken to somebody in the fandom who has autism themselves and what it means to them to see representation especially within fanfics. I'll be speaking to ridiculously over-obsessed as well. Very very excited. So I think let's get into it. Starting off of course with our actor news being pretty quiet out there at the moment. Skylar Austin's been very very busy promoting Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. He was on the Kelly Clarkson Show. And if you've been around social media, he's been doing a few little short videos with MTV. One about his favourite musical moments that he's been involved in that shaped his career and also his life in soundtracks, including the Friends theme, which, let's be fair, I think that will probably be on my list as well as important soundtrack moments. Elsewhere, on social media, I think we can all agree, if you've been... Anywhere near Instagram over the past week. Brittany Snow, I think, is is losing it a little bit in New Zealand. She did a little Instagram video of just moments of her stuck in her hotel room, waiting for her quarantine period to be over. I don't know quite how to describe it, apart from the fact that, like, it was an amazingly cute and just, like, a typical... I don't want to... I want to say dorky, but, like, it was just such a britney snow thing to put out on social media is so good also i feel like she's been way more productive than i would be stuck in a hotel room for two weeks so she's got like a week left to go good luck britney snow (laughs) and finally anna camp also kind of made some waves on instagram and on twitter this week when she tweeted the fact that uh obviously she's getting a bit bored during uh, the pandemic that her latest Google search was uh, searching for a job near her. So if anybody's got any good ideas, maybe uh, let Anna Camp know. She might be able to fill her time with something or find a find a good job. <laughs> That's it for our Act news this week. Let's delve into my discussions with another Bacchloe shipper and ridiculously over-obsessed as we find out a little bit more about autism. So one thing that I have always loved about delving into the fandom, and it's not something that I've really realized with fan fiction until more recently when I was kind of getting to see all these different stories and aspects of the Bellas, is the fact that fan fiction has this great power to be able to take characters and put them in so many different situations. And with that, they also have the power to be able to address Different types of living styles different abilities people have looking at different aspects of society and so I've always been fascinated with this Opportunity that creators have to be able to tell their stories or to highlight different abilities or um, Maybe different challenges that people have and I had the opportunity to speak to an author who uh, who does some of this in her fix with regards to autism and so I have the great privilege to be able to speak to another Chloe shipper today. Hi. Hi. Just kind of delving into it, to those who don't know, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Uh, well, I am a mom of two and my oldest has autism. My youngest, well, technically they both have ADHD, but uh, yeah, so it's been tricky with my daughter as always. Um, And I'd been wanting to share her story and, you know, didn't want to have the mommy blog that nobody reads. So kind of went from there.
0: That's really, really interesting, especially that you decided to take an aspect from your own life. And like you said, from your daughter's life and kind of share it into fan fiction.
1: Yeah, I didn't wanting to. I'd actually even kind of started writing for a mom blog that I never published. And then I kind of said, well, I don't know. There are so many mom blogs. And then I kind of got into reading Pitch Perfect stuff. And I I wrote a different multi-chapter thick. And then I was, I started and stopped a bunch of times writing about my daughter. And actually the first iteration was so much basically our life that I was like, okay, I got to take a step back because it was like established But Chloe. Becca was the one who'd carried and I'm actually a lot more like Chloe in personality. So that was an issue. And then I was thinking, okay, well, how about somebody who's a single parent, let's get them together. And then I thought, well, music therapy, not that my daughters had it, which is funny. But so I was like, well, You know, if Becca's going to be an autism person, she's going to be a music therapist and, you know, what's better than Becca and Chloe together. It's interesting that you said that you
0: started writing with Becca being the one who carried the child at the beginning and then kind of as you reworked it, you kind of ended up with a story where you took the, the characteristics of these characters and found positions where they worked really well. Like when I read the story, it was lovely to see Becca as the music therapist. And you could kind of imagine her really embracing that as part of sort of her personality.
1: Yeah, and it kind of gave me an opportunity to share, you know, a lot of what I've been through with my daughter without, you know, like I said, the mom blog that nobody reads without putting her face and her name out there. Um, Her name is not Megan. It was actually in our top four. It just it was one of those things I was like I could share everything I've been through but I made Chloe go through it while also trying to find Buff.
0: So how did you end up getting into Pitch Perfect originally? Was it like you'd seen the movie before because it's quite different watching the movie and liking it to then getting the point where you're in the fandom?
1: Well while watching it I'd actually planned to watch it when it came out um, in theaters but it didn't happen. i was fall 2012, which was a very difficult season for me personally. I think I watched the movie, maybe a year or two later, we were doing, I don't know if you've seen it on YouTube, the Cups tap dance. It's a bunch of Broadway people doing a tap dance to cups. You have to go find it. No, it's this really cool Broadway group of people that put together a tap dance to cups and my adult tap class learned the dance. Um, almost the same exact choreography. There are like one or two minor differences. And I was like, you know, I really should actually watch this movie. I've been meaning to watch it. So I borrowed it from the library and was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And I'd been following Anna Kendrick on Twitter for a couple of years. And then I was like, she's got a book. And I got the audio book from the library, which if you haven't, you really should, cause she's reading it, it's a scream. And I was like, she's talking about all these things like Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect 2 and all the other movies she'd been in. So then I'd been watching the first two obsessively. So then of course I had to see the third one. I saw it four times in the theater, twice with my daughter. I don't know, I think I saw a couple of tweets on Twitter with some fan fiction links and I was like, hey, this is really cool and this totally fixes that whole disaster at the end of Pitch Perfect Three. We will not discuss the name of a man with the, you know, the the city named man. And at first I actually like wrote, you know, a a fix it ending to Pitch Perfect Three, but then I realized it was the same thing everybody else had written. So that wasn't happening. And I think one of those things where I was trying to think of a story is driving my son to school. So a relatively mindless activity. And I was like, you grew up competing in dance. Why don't you put them on the dance competition circuit? So that was my first one was dance rivals. Always tried to write something different. I I don't always, but I do try to look. And I was like, well, nobody, as far as I could tell, has written that. And then later, I guess I was looking for autism and I didn't see anything. There There are a few. There's one other that's Jekka. I can't remember what it's called, but Becca is a single mom and falls in love with Jessie who's the therapist for the little girl. I think I mainly said that it was my daughter because I was thinking I don't need somebody telling me I don't know anything about autism. You know it's autism awareness every day in my house. So when did you decide to start writing then because it's quite different going from loving
0: the fandom and reading the fix to then wanting to write. Have you had experience before in writing or was this kind of a new venture...
1: Well, this yeah. was new, although it was funny. We were just watching Ghostbusters with the kids over the weekend, which came out when I was a kid. Yes, I'm dating myself here. Um, and I was thinking about it. We were, it was one of the classic lines, you know, are you a god? No. The next time somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. And I remember my neighbor and I wrote some Ghostbuster story when we were probably in second grade or something. <laughs> but... Uh, I, you know, I, I don't think it got very far and the internet wasn't a thing, but I'm like, wow. I was like, I technically wrote Ghostbusters fan fiction as a child. All I remember is that they asked if he was a god and he said yes. And then after that, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I kind of took straight to writing. I didn't publish anything for a long time. And then finally, I, I guess I got the guts probably a couple months after I'd started writing Dance Rivals to start putting stuff up. And I was like, well, I just, I really was just hoping nobody, like, said they hated it. <laughs> so I'm, actually, I'm I'm really, really glad that, you know, for the most part, either people like my writing or they don't have anything too bad to say about it.
0: You do quite a lot of different things, and it's interesting to see all the different aspects you've taken. It's interesting that you said, especially at the beginning, that some of those were inspired from parts of your life, like Dance Rivals, the first one you put out and especially with Chloe and the music therapist, is very much taken from aspects of your life.
1: Yeah, I, I was actually terrified to post the one about my daughter. That was that was even scarier than the first thing I'd ever posted because I was like, well, if you don't care for dance rivals, that's fine. It's very, very, very loosely based on my experience competing in dance. Definitely didn't quite have the competition schedule I put on there. I joke that my life was like a saner version of Dance Moms. Um, <laughs> it's uh, considerably less screaming, which is good. It was really scary to put a piece of my life out there like that. A part of me is still shocked that people liked it, a uh, part of me is still shocked people are still reading it. I mean, I published it more than two years ago. I was terrified and I was thinking, oh, my God, I was like, nobody's going to even read this because nobody here has anything about autism. Nobody cares. And then I'm like, oh, my God, it's still probably going to be, if it's not my most liked fic, it's maybe my second, but it's, it's definitely up there. And I don't know. I don't think my life is nearly as interesting as apparently other people do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I live it every day. I guess that's why i think that's one thing that i've loved
0: about reading different stories in the fandom is they highlight different things when you read them you know there's been fix about characters being blind or death or i read one when i was researching for this interview there's one about becca having is it ausbergers yeah um or ocd you know and these are aspects you know for some people like me you don't face every day and you don't know that much about it and being able to just see aspects of that in a thick, I think is really powerful. And it helps you, it helped me better appreciate and understand how different people experience the world, because I take things for granted in just my little bubble.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, autism in general has also made me a bit more appreciative of my other kid. He hasn't, you know, been completely without one issue. But I mean, he had a speech delay, and he had this, that, and the other. But I also celebrate every little milestone with him. It's interesting that
0: you mentioned that you were thinking originally to kind of write a blog, but you decided to instead go and write a fan fiction about it. You've kind of addressed a little bit as to where the idea came from, but when, when did you get to the point where you're like, I've got to write this as a story?
1: I have no idea. That was two years ago. <laughs> I don't know. I, like I said, i had been wanting to share the story for a while. I feel like I had almost all of the music therapy one written well before I published it we also I'm really not very smart sometimes we actually moved and um, I think right after I think it was a day that I posted my last chapter we moved and so i would had it all written and i was like well i'll post it after we move but then i don't know i just i had to like share it like now so that's also why i got the chapters out as quickly as i did i was sh- posting a chapter a day and then i pulled back on the last few because i i kind of looked back and was like oh i don't like what i did with that so i changed it yeah i don't know i'd been wanting to share um everybody who has somebody with autism has something different people with autism themselves are different. If you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. Even like among my daughter's friends group, most of them have autism. They're different. Uh, We've got one friend who you cannot talk about school breaks. She doesn't like the change. In fact, last week her math teacher found out the hard way that you can't talk about school breaks. Like she had said something like, oh, well, we have two classes, we have two classes next week because Thanksgiving break's coming up and she's screaming into the screen. No! No, no, no! Don't talk about Thanksgiving break! No! And then we see the, the, her just pop out of the Google Meet because I'm sure mom and dad were dealing with the meltdown. Um, Meanwhile, my daughter's like, "Okay, cool. We have a break. What day is it? All right, cool. Like she had wanted to send her that friend a birthday card when it was clear we were not going to be having birthday parties. And I said, you send her a birthday card a month late and I'm getting a phone call from her mother saying your kid has just, you know, sent mine through the roof. So I said, you can't send that friend a gift. I mean, a birthday card. And she was okay, But, you know, they're all a little different. You know, there's a lot of things. Most of them have uh, speech issues, social issues, picky eaters. But even, you know, my one friend, her, her best friend, my daughter's best friend, she speaks about the same level as my daughter. Academically, she's ahead of her. But socially, the kid is a disaster. She does well with her, but she doesn't understand social cues. So she'll get bored and she'll call my daughter on FaceTime repeatedly. I can text the kid or even answer the FaceTime call and say, my daughter is not available. It does no good. She cannot process it for a while. I was like, what is her deal? But she can't process it. She can't look at the FaceTime screen and realize, Oh, that's not my best friend. And she can't process what I'm saying. So usually I have to text her mother and say, Please ask her to stop calling Sarah and then she usually does, but it's just one of those things. Yeah. Um, so they're all different and you know, wanting to, and even, you know, wanting to share that story is what I wanted to do. I've been through many different things that not everybody has. Most kids are picky eaters. Most of them are not to the point where they actually have to go to a feeding therapy. Unlike the Megan in the story, she went to two different feeding clinics. Oh, right. The first one didn't work, Um, but I didn't think that was relevant to the story. Yeah, the first one didn't work. Different hospital, nothing against them. Their their technique didn't work on my daughter. So, yeah, it's about as fun as it sounds buying baby food for a seven-year-old.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because you get a certain intensity when you read the story and what Chloe's going through, and, you know, that's only a small aspect of a real-life experience.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get um, it was in I want to say it was chapter five because I just looked this afternoon, but there's one where Chloe goes to the grocery store and the cashier makes this big, big deal about the fact that she's buying, you know, a cart full of baby food for her kid. And I definitely had at least two different cashiers make that remark. It got even more fun when my daughter was older and more verbal. And she's looking at the jar. She's sticking them on the belt going, ooh, apples and pears and sweet potatoes. And I'm going, oh, my God. Like, I'm glad you're talking, but please stop. <laughs> but I definitely had people that would they just, most of the time, I just kind of got a side eye. And I'm like, okay, fine. But... Uh, I had at least a couple people that were like, you know, you can give her regular food. And I'm surprised that I never did use any of my real zingers I had. My favorite one was going to be, oh, well, I ate baby food till college, didn't you? (laughs) Thank you, cashier at Walmart for showing me the way. I really had no idea. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, actually, I'll just starve her instead. How's that sound?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just for those who don't know what autism is, what's the best way of describing it to someone?
1: My daughter's brain is wired completely differently from anybody else, um, which I think is also why I don't think anyone's found a cure because I don't think anybody can rewire someone's brain. She thinks and feels very differently from the rest of us. She's got a ton of rules, so many that I don't think I could ever figure out, but she'll make up rules if she doesn't have one. And I guess that kind of helps rules and routines help her understand. Um, She has sensory issues, a lot of them have gotten better, but she was very, very sensitive to noise and wore um, earphones a lot of the times to help muffle things. She doesn't tend to mind too much anymore. Uh, She was so sensitive to people touching her hand that if we would touch her palm, she would jerk her hand back. Food was really, really hard. She didn't like how it felt in her mouth. Although I think this is more her motor issues, which is a separate diagnosis, but she didn't quite learn how to chew food. Like she had to be taught how to chew food in the uh, feeding clinic. But I think that's actually a diagnosis. I didn't even know it was a thing, but she was diagnosed with developmental coordination disorder at 11. And it really hasn't changed anything except it's filled in the blanks. She had a gross motor delay, which even among autistics is not very common. It just explains a lot of our motor-related issues we've had with her. She she didn't potty train until she was six, and that was during the day, nighttime, she was close to 10. And part of it was she didn't have the control. She didn't have the motor skills. It's fun putting a seven-year-old and, well, six-year-old in diapers. She was actually, actually, that was for number one. She didn't get number two until she was eight. It was about as fun as it sounds it's not fun changing someone's diaper when they have long enough legs to kick you in the face she never did it on purpose she just you know she'd get mad at me and the legs would go flying you mentioned
0: earlier as well the fact that there are different types of autism it's not like there's one that fits everybody yeah
1: yeah some kids are completely nonverbal. um my daughter's quite verbal um some of them really you are only going to get something out of them if they want something and Usually in those cases, it's because somebody has really, really pushed them to learn to speak. But there are some kids that they just, they don't talk and they're not going to. And some of them are very verbal, but a lot of times my daughter doesn't say she doesn't know what she's saying isn't exactly fair, but she does a lot of scripted speech. She'll repeat phrases, but then sometimes she'll even say to me, well, what does that mean? You know, and that's also why my daughter tends to do well socially. I think she's learned to emulate what she sees other people do, which is a very common thing in girls with autism. It's also why sometimes they don't get diagnosed as much. Although my daughter had enough going on that she, it it was never a question. She was two and a half when she was diagnosed, but she'd had issues from the get-go. What
0: was it then that made you want to write a story that was so close to aspects of your life? you learn to have a thick skin (laughs) yeah (laughs) did you consciously decide to put those things in or like it's interesting you mentioned with eating that you didn't want that to be reflective of exactly like your experience it was slightly more toned down maybe than what you had actually experienced
1: yeah certain things you know I, I definitely wanted to put the cashier story in there because A lot of times people do get judgmental, especially because she doesn't have a particular look. My child appears normal. Now, she's not in a wheelchair. She doesn't have, you know, any obvious physical difference. So a lot of times people just, I guess, assume someone's a bad parent if their kid's throwing a tantrum in the store or, you know, I guess assumed I was an idiot because I was buying baby food for a three-year-old. The type of stuff we go through and also just hopefully anybody reading it, maybe we'll now think twice. Like you see a kid throwing in a tantrum at a toy store. It may not be because they're a spoiled rat. I joke now that uh, I see a kid throwing a tantrum. And I'm like, I hmm, wonder what special need they've got. I think that's really interesting though, because like from somebody who hasn't gone through like that
0: experience, you know, like you said, you could see somebody doing that in a shop or buying baby food for a child that doesn't look of that age but appreciating you know what like maybe that's what they need at this time maybe they're going through a different experience and you just don't know and there's a lot of things you don't know about somebody else's experience in this life and what they're going through
1: yeah I was lucky because we we took Sarah to restaurants a lot and it got really weird when her little brother was old enough to order off the menu and she still wasn't eating regular stuff. In fact, confused quite a few waiters who would go to put the food in front of her and I would just point to the other child and, you know, I'd hand my daughter the baby food and usually they, nobody at a restaurant ever said anything, which is good. But, you know, I know at some point we were going to be getting something from somebody saying, you know, why do you have her food? But it's one of those, I don't want to play the autism card for sympathy, but, you know, sometimes you just got to. And I think also just
0: highlighting this was, this is your daily routine, like this is, is what you had to do every single day, that was normality for you guys. I think it's also quite interesting, you you sent me a link to another The Chloe story, just like Starting Over by The Pocket Dragon, so it mentions it, the inklings that he could have, yes. but it was interesting, kind of similar to what you were saying, that some diagnosis is not that obvious, and it could be a few years before they get to a point where they can diagnose something or not and so the amount of tests or things they have to go through and they can't do it right when they're first born there's a lot of not knowing and just figuring out as it's going along because each child is different and you've got to kind of figure those things out as they grow up.
1: Yeah I mean honestly um, at first I blamed myself. I thought oh, she's behind because I didn't push this and she's behind because I didn't do this. And when I actually got the diagnosis, it was like, oh, all of this is because it's just how her brain is wired. And it was like, oh, okay, because really like, oh my gosh, we had her, the first thing we had her evaluated for was, um, was for physical therapy. She was not walking or even crawling on her first birthday. I kind of was like, okay, we're going to, they're going to say she qualifies for physical therapy. I was on board with that, but they tested everything. This is uh, the early intervention program, which in the States is, uh, it's actually free. So if you have a kid under three, find, contact your school system, so, you know, PSA there. Um, <laughs> but I had them come out and they were like, you know, she seems to have a cognitive delay. and you know I think I probably cried for a good hour after I left because I was like she's got a delay because I'm not teaching her anything and then even when she did get the the autism evaluation which was maybe a year and a half later you know I probably cried for a good hour after that too because I, I didn't know what I know now and there were so many things I'm looking at like well this isn't going to happen and that's not going to happen and this isn't going to happen and you know there are still things that she's never going to do. She's probably never getting a driver's license, probably not going to college, probably not going to ever live completely on her own. You know we'll figure that out we've she's actually almost sixteen, so she'll be in school until she's twenty one so I guess I have about five years. You know some of the things like I remember you know I grew up dancing, and I remember thinking she's never going to take a dance class well. She does, she's, it's for kids with special needs, but she's been taking dance. Well, I had her at a rec center when she was five till eight, and then she went to a regular dance studio, but with a special class at nine, but it's on her level. There's one girl who dances with a walker and at least three kids with Down syndrome. And I'm not sure what else, because with COVID, I don't know who's around and who isn't, but uh, you know, she dances, she's in the recital actually, my little one is a competitive dancer. So, you know, got it out of the boy, go figure. (laughs) Nobody, I I don't think I would have believed that if somebody had told me, oh, this is what you're going to have when you're older.
0: Was it daunting taking your own experiences and putting it into a fic?
1: Yes. The writing part was simple because I lived it. I wasn't really sure what people were going to think. I also was very open about it being my daughter because I was also, you know, think i had said i didn't want people to think i didn't know what i was talking about i'm like no i live with this all day every day um yeah it was scary but it was also kind of cool to put my story out there and but at least there's there's some anonymity to it which is cool
0: (laughs) yeah one thing that
1: i i really
0: appreciated from the story is you tackle it from a parent perspective almost in in the form of chloe And that you're very honest with the ups and downs that Chloe has to go through just from a parent's perspective. Like you mentioned, when you had your daughter, it was not like something you would have ever thought of. And maybe you're blaming yourself for the development. It's not really your fault. It's just the way your child is and learning how they interact with the world and what they need to help them interact with the world and things like that. I just thought was really fascinating because I can imagine that's exactly what a parent would go through. And to kind of see it through Chloe's eyes was really, really fascinating.
1: Yeah, I tried to be honest because, uh, you know, a lot of us will put on a brave face. I generally do. And it's also, it's a lot easier to be positive. Um, I also use humor. My daughter's kind of hilarious sometimes. She doesn't necessarily mean to be. Some of the weirder stuff my daughter does is kind of funny. (laughs) Um, You know, of course, I always say it in jest and I'm never actually making fun of my own kid, but... You know, sometimes it helps to find the humor in everything. Definitely, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was intrigued when I was reading the story, the amount of times that they used the Sesame Street songs. It talks about in the fact that Megan has an obsession with Elmo. Did oh. your daughter ever have an obsession with anything?
1: She still has an obsession with Elmo. She's been Elmo <laughs> the last two Halloweens. <laughs> um, I have listened to Sesame Street songs approximately 10 million times. <laughs> But, yeah, yeah, Elmo was her big obsession, as is the color red, just like the making character. She has quite a few red pieces of her wardrobe. I believe her favorite Taylor Swift song is red. Her favorite Taylor Swift album is red. Um, but at least we, we do have the Taylor Swift thing going, which, you know, is way better than Elma singing the ABCs. Oh, yeah, Over. I mean, I'm I'm
0: a, I'm a Taylor Over. Swift fan, so it all works.
1: I, I like Taylor Swift, not nearly as much as she does, but I did write uh, for Swift Perfect Week largely because of her, and we own all of her stuff anyway, so I was like, all right. One of mine, I don't remember which one, but there was one I did specifically because I said to her, okay, what's your favorite song off of this album? I wish I could remember which one it is, though. <laughs> it might have been Stay, 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 but I'm not 100% sure.
0: So did your daughter ever have any input into the story?
1: No, Um, I was actually a stay at home mom when I wrote it and I wrote it while the kids were at school. Um, Oh, right. But no, no input other than, you know, simply existing. (laughs) She knows about it. But like I said, she didn't want me to read it to her, which, you know, that's fine. Uh, Like I said, certain things I don't necessarily want her reading about especially like about how upset I was when she was first diagnosed. I don't know that she and I have ever talked about that, and hmm. it's not where I'd want her to find out that information. Um, and certain aspects of the story are above her maturity level. The, the words themselves are above her reading level, but, I mean, I can read to her. And actually, it was funny because my son said, well, Mom, did you ever write anything about me? And I said, well, no. However, the Sam character I've written in at least two stories is l- loosely based on him as well as my youngest brother.
0: I write. Why did you want to write a story that covered autism? Why did you want to write something that obviously came from your life and was was about autism?
1: There was nothing that I could find on autism out there. At least I didn't, you know, do an extensive search, but I didn't see anything. There are a lot of stories that are on the same topic, and that's perfectly fine. But I've been trying as best as I can to write something that's different from what everybody else is writing. And then later, Suit Up wrote Unspoken, which I think is the one you mentioned. Rebecca has Asperger's syndrome. She also has selective mutism. My daughter doesn't have either of those. But, yeah, it's not something I saw a whole lot of. But, you know, most people, Becca and Chloe have the kid. The kid's fine. And most, you know, most people do have the kid, and the kid's fine. The kid's typical. And that's great. But then there are people like me who don't. And uh, I also wanted to make sure it was a girl, because it's actually far less common in girls. I don't know if you knew that, but boys are four to six times as likely, I think, to be on the autism spectrum. In fact, I was pregnant with my youngest when my daughter was diagnosed. And then about three or four weeks after she was diagnosed, I found out I was having a boy. And I got to tell you, I was thinking... I already have a girl, you know, with this and now I'm having a boy, but he's not on the spectrum, which, you know, I'm very thankful for. I know people with multiple kids on the spectrum and, you know, I guess I'd figure it out. Everybody does, but I'm very glad that I don't.
0: So why is representation of autism important to you?
1: Because you don't see it that much. Um, If you do, you either see somebody who's so severe they're nonverbal, they're banging their head against the wall, and they're in an institution, or somebody is telling their parent or whoever they should be in an institution, or you get somebody like Rain Man. My daughter is not a math genius; she's good at math, but she's she can't drop toothpicks and tell you how many are there. And then I think. Think the good doctor is about somebody with autism. My daughter is not a doctor. She is not going to be a doctor. Um, Yeah, so people either think they're just quirky and, you know, have superpowers or, or super smart or they're, you know, just kind of sitting in a corner rocking and banging their head. My daughter kind of falls in the middle. And also, she's a girl. You don't see that many girls with autism in the media, which which I do get. I appreciate that because it is more boys. There's not a whole lot of representation of autism, and it's definitely nobody I see that's like my daughter.
0: Yeah, your experience is valid, whether you're the parent of a child with autism, whether you are autistic, like seeing those things represented means something to you.
1: Oh yeah, and that's also why um, just about everybody my daughter hangs out with has special needs. She's got this amazing friend group, um, and it's great because you know she and her best friend can you know go back and forth. It's a lot of scripted language, and you know I, I will admit it's a little bit funny to hear the two of them go back and forth over this. But I'm like you know it works for them, and they're having a good time. And uh, you know when we get together as a group, when you know there isn't stupid COVID. It's nice, you know, one kid is falling over on the floor because they ran out of yellow crayons or something, or, you know, same friend from the group is mad because somebody mentioned an upcoming school break. Nobody cares. Nobody judges. We're all just like, oh, right, right. That's she hates school breaks. Yeah. So, okay, somebody passed this kid the yellow crayon. Let's, let's, you know, move along. But it's nice because, you know, we understand they all have their quirks and their behaviors. And In that group, my daughter's accepted. And, you know, as a mom, I don't feel like I'm spending the whole time explaining what's going on with my daughter. It's, in fact, half the time we'll be like, oh, your kid can, oh, that's awesome. Your kid can do that. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Well, mine just had this happen. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. And, you know, yeah, it's one of those things where somebody says, oh, yeah, my kid just got an A in math. Meanwhile, I'm going, she tried a new food and her socks didn't bother her. (laughs) Woohoo! Yeah, definitely. And and
0: I think it's lovely that, you know, people don't appreciate those little victories are victories. It's interesting bringing something like autism into the fandom, like Pitch Perfect. For you, what power does fan fiction have in being able to highlight different stories and highlight being able to share those stories with other people?
1: I like to think people who read my story probably never would have learned anything about autism. I mean. It's around, but it's not that around. And you know, somebody just wanting to read something about Pitch Perfect maybe opens my story, and then they learn something. And also, even just in general, you know, you see my daughter throwing a fit in a store, which you know, not so much now that she's older. But you know, you you understand it. And I do hope people reading these fan sections are a little more aware um, of people and their differences and. You know, hopefully that'll, that'll help. Also, I just found that fandoms pretty nice. I, I don't know about other fandoms really, but I was hoping people wouldn't hate it. But I also, I guess, to some degree was like, well, Either people are just not going to read this or they're not going to comment. And, you know, that's fine, too. But I was hoping people would read it and be like, Oh, that's really cool. I learned something
0: for me when I was reading it you know you did get a new appreciation just seeing a different aspect somebody living a life in this way and appreciating different aspects of autism as well and and how they experience the world.
1: Yeah yeah that was pretty much what I was hoping is that you know people be a little more aware. Um, I, I know as an autism mom I do tend to get a little nervous in public places with her Um, Right now, she's learning how to pay for things with a debit card. She's actually picked up pretty quickly, but I I worry because she takes a little while and sometimes I think, oh, what if the cashier is impatient or what if I have a line of people behind me that are going to get upset? I hope that they look and realize, okay, she's trying, she's, you know, she's doing her best. But, you know, we always just worry, you know, people are really judgmental and I really hope people take a step back and think okay maybe this person's taking a while to pull out their debit card and pay for this item because they don't quite have the motor planning skills to do that. One thing that I
0: really love and you mentioned about the fandom is the fact that there is a certain aspect of anonymity so you can share something from you know even from your heart and just put it out there as a story and there's so many different varieties of stories that we have in the fandom that you can delve into so many different little worlds and they can address anything from, you know, like you said, they could be a retelling of Pitch Perfect 3, they could be a vampire story over here, you know, an autism story, we've got Death Chloe and so you can delve into so many different worlds and different ways of living or experiencing and gain an appreciation or understanding of different things.
1: Yeah, and I think it's nice. that I feel like in general, the fandom is pretty supportive. I don't get a whole lot. I don't feel like I see a whole lot of comments that, you know, were anything worse than maybe annoying. In fact, somebody was giving relatively constructive criticism on the pick I'm posting these days, which is heavy petting zoo. I'm not even sure why I'm posting it because I don't know where it's going. But, you know, I'll figure it out or or I won't or I don't know. I, I don't know, guys. But uh, the person, you know, brought up something and we kind of had it back and forth. It was like, we're cool, right? I'm like, sure. It's a story. You you know, you didn't say it was horrible. Like you were not impressed with this chapter. And that's fine. Like, actually, it's funny because Chloe and the music therapist, it's probably my best story. But the actual writing, I don't think is my best writing. I think I've gotten better since. But. I guess the story is compelling enough. <laughs> it's one of your earlier fics as well, wasn't it? I was looking. It's my through... second multi-chapter fic. I've written a yeah. couple. I've written like a one-shot and a multi-chapter, and maybe another one-shot. But yeah, it was my second fic, and you know, I almost I don't really want to redo it. The part of me is like, man, if I were writing it now, but you know, <laughs> it's out there and it's good, and it's a it's a story I'm probably always going to be throwing one-shots from. I mean, there were two of them from the Chloe week. I actually slightly feel bad about the hospital one. Don't read Megan gets her tonsils out if you're squeamish. <laughs> I'm also thinking, you know, if there's a hospital prompt again, I've actually got a better story around Sarah that's not gross. So That one does take a
0: little bit of a gross turn in the middle. <laughs> it,
1: it, 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 well, living it wasn't fun either. <laughs> and it was New Year's Eve. And was I it actually New Year's somebody. Eve? It was. And oh, wow. I, and I did not have anybody to watch the little one. I, I don't have twins. And he had to go to the hospital with us. And <laughs> that was that.
0: What has been the response to the story then? I, I mean, you've, it's been around for quite a while. Um, it's
1: overwhelmingly positive, And yeah. I'm like I said, I'm surprised people are still reading it. I posted it like two years ago. <laughs> in fact, sometimes like somebody will comment on a chapter and I've got to go back and be like, well, what the hell happened to that chapter? I mean, I gave that one chapter <laughs> titles, but still, and yeah, it's it's kind of cool. I know there's at least one other writer in the fandom who has a child with autism and he and I chat from time to time. But yeah, most of the time people are like, hey, that's really cool. I think I had a reader with autism who was like, Oh, yeah, you know, people say, people make, you know, stupid assumptions about me too. It was one where it's, I think, I think I actually put Gail in there and Gail is bragging about her kid and Chloe's, you know, very much over it and doesn't want to hear about her three year old math tutor or whatever stupid thing it is Gail's babbling about. And um, I think somebody commented like, I have autism and yeah, I'm good at math, but so what or something. Yeah, you know, for the most part people have been really impressed some people seem to think i'm a superhero which is weird i'm just her mom uh i mean i i think i do a good job i think i learn to adapt i you know i'm her mom What was i going to be like oh autism no no thank you trade in i mean yeah. no i just and honestly by the time she had the diagnosis you know after the crying jag i was like okay she's still the same person that she was you know before the psychologist came over um now you just know what it is
0: i think that's one thing that i really liked from the fandom like you said it does seem very supportive and it's lovely to see that people have appreciated the story and hopefully got something out of it as they've read it as well
1: and um, i think they have yeah
0: yeah one thing that i was kind of interested in for you writing the story did it help you in any way
1: Well, let's see, when I wrote it, I think she was 13. So this had all happened just a good 10 years prior, and I kind of looked back at a lot of that and thought, you know, she's really come so far. She's done so much. So that was good, and it's, you know, sometimes, you know, especially when we're having a a rough day, like she had a tantrum Friday because her math class ran over by an extra two minutes. Um, She's still taking class virtually. And then I remember, you know, you never would have thought she'd be able to sit through a math class. You know, there were a lot of things that I wasn't quite sure she would do, and she is doing them. So yeah, you know, I try to remember things like that when I have a rough day. Like, okay, you know, she's not, you know, still eating baby food. Like, yeah, she turned her nose up at, you know, dinner, but, you know, she also can, you know, go throw some mac and cheese in the microwave, and then we're all good to go.
0: That's really great, though, that you're able to kind of, from the story, it's kind of a little record or a little glimpse into what you've experienced and you can kind of look back and see the progress that you've made and kind of where you are now.
1: Oh, yeah, because she hardly even talked um, at three, much like the Megan character. I think she had maybe five words on her third birthday. And like Megan did, she had one word after she was two and then that word disappeared within six months. And it is back and, you know... Now you can sort of have a conversation with her. It it uh it, it depends on the day and how it goes and what you're talking about, but she can actually answer, especially when she's paying attention. <laughs> um, but you know, I remember like it's funny because somebody has said to me in one of the reviews when I was publishing it, like, "Is it weird that I'm really excited for this?" You know, fictional character. I said, "Well, just think of it like you're excited for my daughter about 10 years ago." So did you introduce her to Pitch Perfect or... Did yes. she get on her own? Um, I watched the movie a lot and I think she joined me or something. She laughed her ass off in the shower scene. It was the funniest thing she she's like, mommy, that is so unexpected. What's <laughs> wrong with her? Chloe should just let Becca shower by herself. <laughs> and I'm like, that is totally why mom's laughing. Exactly. She's convinced that Chloe and Becca kissed on Hood Night. I've never I, told right. her otherwise. Um, what else... Oh, and even like the, the poop scene at the beginning, she's like, oh, mom, she's like, Aubrey should have gone and gotten a trash can or something.
0: And not only did I get to speak to another Chloe shipper, but we also had the opportunity to speak to her daughter, which Chloe and the Music Therapist is all about. So I'm very excited to speak to Sarah. Hey. Hi, Hayley. Hi. Thanks for joining us. You are welcome. I am so glad that we can talk about Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Who is your favorite character?
1: Mine is Aubrey. Aubrey! Why do you like Aubrey? She yells on the bell and she bursts the bells
0: around. That's true. She's very good at her job. (laughs) My favorite character is Becca. That's cool. What do you like about Pitch Perfect?
2: That the bell for her and close at the first one. And already gets to tease the
0: bellas. Yes. <laughs> I also really love the songs. Do you have a favorite song from the movie? Yes, mine is I Saw the Sign. That's awesome. You know, I we'll think will pretend
1: mom wasn't old enough for you know that to be her <laughs> jam in high school.
0: My, I think my favorite song is uh, "Just the Way You Are" by Bruno Mars. Oh, that's cool. So, what was your favorite part of the movie?
1: Dad, Bagel was kissing Chloe. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what that awesome. totally happened on Hood Night. <laughs> that
0: was at Hood Night. Yeah. That is a good scene. Your mum was telling me how she's written some stories about Pitch Perfect. Have you ever read any? No. That's fair enough. To be fair, the movies are the best part. Yeah. Yeah. So the third movie's your favourite? Yes. I really love Aubrey in the third movie. Oh my gosh, that's cool. I like that she uh, she's kind of like... Helps the bellows along. Yeah.
1: And I think Sarah likes that there's a, a clear bad guy in that one. She spends a lot of it saying, No, Fat Amy's dead. And he kidnaps the Bellas, but not Becca and Fat Amy. He kidnaps the Bellas, but not Becca and Fat Amy.
0: Yeah. And they mm-hmm. help to save the day. Yeah. Do you have a favorite song from that movie? Yes. Taze three Lips. The one that the Bellas. Toxic. Sing. Oh, Toxic. That is a good one. And we get to hear it like twice. Yeah. I think that might be one of my favorites from that movie as well. That's awesome. Well, it's been really lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Just to remind everybody, if they do want to check out the story, where's the best place for them to read it? It's called Chloe and the Music Therapist.
1: Yeah, it's on AO3 and fanfiction.net. It's written by another Bechloe shipper. Yeah, and my other ID on AO3 is Amy P91402. That's what it was before. So it's under that and my another Bechloe shipper pseudonym on AO3 because I was afraid if I changed my name or something, people would uh, get confused. Well, I appreciate
0: the time you've taken to delve into this world with me and for sharing it. it. It's been really, really insightful, and I appreciate you kind of sharing it with us. Sure, sure. Well, talking about autism, I wanted to get somebody on who experiences it for themselves and maybe has a different perspective. And so I was very, very fortunate to be able to speak to the writer, G, who you might know as ridiculously over-obsessed. So hi, G. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thank you yeah. so much for joining me on the podcast.
2: Oh no, it's fine. It's absolutely fine.
0: Just to let people know a little bit about you, can you just kind of give us a little introduction?
2: Yeah. So um, I'm G. I'm high functioning autistic, um, sort of like the Asperger's end of the spectrum. So like, doesn't affect me that much. Like, it does like there's little things that you notice as you're going along, but. Um, I am autistic, but I I do other things as well. Um, people know me as ridiculously obsessed on Tumblr and Ao3 and fanfiction.net because otherwise I get confused as to who I am anyway. So,
0: so how did you just to start off? How did you get into the fandom?
2: Not long before the third film came out, like I've been meaning to watch them for ages anyway, and then they were on British Netflix for like three weeks, and I was like, I'll just I'll watch them, and I was like, oh these are these are cool, and then I'd seen bits on tumblr and i was like oh it's gay it's not but the overtones are there (laughs) that'll do yeah and then i went and saw the third film in the cinema uh the january after it came out and i was like i've got i've got a right fanfic that was fine but it needs fixing (laughs) and then i just yeah you just end up roped into the fandom and things and it's it's been fun i
0: love the fact that you saw the third movie and you were just like i have to now write this (laughs) (laughs) this episode we're kind of looking at autism how would you describe autism to somebody who may be not that familiar with it
2: for me personally because uh, autism is a spectrum it's different for everybody who experiences it everybody who deals with it but for me it's like you sort you present as somebody that's normal for want of a better word because no one is but um and it's sort of like there's this extra like ticking going on in the back of your brain like I have this constant inner monologue which apparently isn't normal and other people aren't like that which was eye-opening and it's it's sort of like why have you said that why are you saying this why are you doing that what's going on over there it's sort of like mine's sort of like there's a blur between my autism and some sort of symptoms of ADD and ADHD as well which means that that's why my fanfic takes so long because I'm just I'm always like oh butterfly and um (laughs) Yeah, it's sort of like again. I use the word normal for one of a better one, but I look and present like a normal person. But there's certain things that like tick people off. Like I talk a lot with my hands, I flap, which it's like a it's a form of physical stimming, and um, it's not something that I can explain other than like have it happen, and then people be like, "Oh, that's what you mean." It's like everyone else experiences everything in HD, and you've got like that 4K extra. Like you notice other things. There are things that tick in your brain that don't necessarily register with other people. Other people are like, "But why did you pick up on that?" And it's like, "I it just did."
0: So it's, it's almost like a, you process things differently.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: You mentioned how like it's a spectrum, and there's like lots hmm. of different varieties of that. So yeah, especially when I was talking to another, but Chloe Shipper, they mentioned the fact that that's why sometimes people's perception of autism can be, can be skewed yeah. because you've only seen one version of it. Exactly. And
2: somebody else who has autism could be completely different. Well, me having autism, my sister's autistic as well, and we present quite differently. My mum used to work with um, kids who are autistic in mainstream education. It, she always used to say that when you've met one autistic kid, you've met one autistic kid. There's There aren't any two that present the same. There are people that present with similarities, and that's how you get diagnoses for these sort of things, because there are similar behaviours. Like, no two autistic people are alike.
0: I think that's quite interesting to know as well, like... There's so many varieties of it. And and some people are going to be more obvious than mm. others. I mean, I've known you for a little while and uh, we, we've only talked online, like we never met in person, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, I wouldn't know yeah. from the video calls that we've had or chats or whatever that you're yeah. autistic, unless you had brought it up. Yeah. Whereas other people are going to be more obvious when you see them, exactly. maybe they
2: have more physical traits. Definitely. And like uh, something that I'd realized I was thinking about this uh, yesterday and like the things that I realized is when we've done video chats and things like that, I haven't done the flapping thing. Like I, I talk in my hands a lot. I know I do. It's just, it's something that I've always done. It's not, doesn't register with me anymore, but I realized I'd not done like, like I've talked about um, flapping and the, the the excessive emotional response I have to certain things. Like when fanfic is like really fluffy or like really angsty, it sets off like a an emotional response that ends up with me flapping for want of a better word like uh, a Sweet Melody Strickland's uh, breakup fic does that to me all the time (laughs) like every time I'm just like no (laughs) why are we doing this again why am I still reading this um because it's amazing that's why but yeah and I just it occurred to me I was like it's very different to people who have known me like you know we've known each other a little while now and like there's certain things like we've been on Calls and things, and I've been clicking a pen or something in the background, and there's just that pause. And then, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) It helps me focus. It's weird, but it helps me focus. It's like um, when I take exams and things, and when I've taken exams in the past for school and stuff, and I've I have to have chewing gum in because I can't focus otherwise. Like unless I'm chewing, I can't. I don't focus the same, and my grades aren't the same. And then that's a whole other thing. But yeah, it's like it's one of those things that like until I got my diagnosis because I don't get my diagnosis until just before the first lockdown it was a very recent diagnosis like it puts so much in perspective and it's kind of like oh that's why I do this thing and that's why I do that thing and it's like even now like certain things will just click and I'm like oh that's what that is it's it's one of those like oh I hadn't I hadn't clicked that before now that's bizarre though
0: because like you said it explains so much hmm. of the way you felt things in the past but yet like going through school and stuff you wouldn't have known that so like since you had the diagnosis and everything has there have been things that you've been able to maybe learn about your
2: own autism that has helped you it's cheesy as it sounds I uh, I want to be kinder to myself and I do go non-verbal like it's it's something that it does frustrate me no end like it really does but it's it's less of a visceral frustrated response these days it's more of a case of oh right we're dealing with this again okay it's about learning that just because again normal people for want of a better word can function in certain social situations it doesn't mean that i can it's not something wrong with me it's just that this is the way that i'm wired and that's entirely different and entirely okay and it's like it's learning to give myself a break every so often i think is what the big thing has been it's that sort of like there's nothing wrong with you you're just different to other people and that's fine
0: I think that's really insightful because I, I think it could be so easy especially going through like high school and mm. that period of your life <laughs> it is difficult when you don't feel like you fit in or yeah. you know like you're encouraged to go to these social situations or interact in a certain way and if that's not natural for you and, and like you said you then seem to think that there's something wrong with you Yeah. Um, And I love how you kind of mentioned the fact that learning about this diagnosis and understanding yourself better because of it means that you can give yourself a break and that actually you can understand this isn't because I'm weird like this is how I process things is how I experience the world and that's okay.
2: I can do the things that quote-unquote normal people can do I just I have to do them differently and I have to learn that like it's all right to like not do these things as well. It's okay to do them differently to how everyone else is doing these things because I approach them in a different way than they would.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, a big part of it is knowing what your boundaries are and knowing what your limitations are and being okay with
2: yourself. Which I think most people should just do in general, whether you're autistic or not, but that's besides the point.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> especially when you don't know that you have it for like a exactly. good chunk of your life. <laughs> Why is it important to represent autistic people in in the media? It's for you. Uh,
2: it's it's so important. Like um, it so very rarely goes well. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, a lot of times it's either it's the romanticized, You know, they're all really really smart people that are, they've got these eidetic memories and they're all geniuses. And I'm like, no, no, we're really not. <laughs> I'm not very smart. I just I work hard, and that's entirely different. Uh, or there's the other end where it's kind of like a joke. Like there's people displaying these behaviours that are traditionally autistic, especially those that are more low-functioning, people that are, and more often than not, are non-verbal, people that can't control the the emotional, physical stims that come with being autistic, people that, yeah, people that are to such a degree where it, it, it does impact them on a on a very visible daily basis. And it's kind of like that's then the butt of the joke. And it's like, when autistic representation is done well, it's incredibly important because it's that sort of like, it's letting people see that these behaviours, whilst they're not typical, they are, they are there. People do behave this way. People can behave this way and it'd be okay as long as they're in a, they're in a safe environment, as long as they're not physically hurting anyone else on a long-term basis. This sort of behaviour is okay because these people function. And the thing that I saw recently was um, Anna Camp's movie Here a While, um, Jolo Trugula plays uh, a character who is autistic and he's it's sort of towards the high functioning end of the spectrum like he's able to have a conversation and he does semi-function in regular society like obviously he still lives with his mum and this is sort of like he always comes over for coffee and things because it's their way of making sure he's eating and drinking and things like that and it's that sort of like middle of the road autistic where it left their own devices they probably couldn't function on their own but within a group they can function to an extent Watching him do his performance, he does this thing where he makes very little eye contact with anyone that he's around. And it's like, I do that. Like, when things get too much, my eye contact goes out the window. Like, I look anywhere else and at everything else. And there's a scene where um, the car pulls over and he gets out and he starts... um, There's this physical, like, visceral reaction with his hands, with his arms, with his whole body. And he's he's having an autistic reaction. He's flapping it out. And the... Just let him do it. Like they let him get out of the car, they let him have that reaction, they let him get back in again. And there's nothing said about it, there's no jokes made about it. It's just a case of that's who he is, and that's fine. And it's them just being like, oh, you know, he needs a minute, we'll we'll get on with things again in a second. And it's like that's the sort of representation that's needed. It's that sort of, yes, these people can be part of a normal, again, normal friendship group, but as long as people make exceptions for them, there's no reason that they just—they're not just like everyone else. Like sometimes they need more exceptions made for them than more people do than other people do, and it's—it's it's learning that you are allowed to be who you are because people eventually will accept you for who you are. And I think that's true of any representation, not just autistic representation. It's—it's it's so important to see people that are like you on screen and in books and whether it's TV or movies or whatever it is because. You grow up feeling broken otherwise and weird and out of sorts. When I was growing up, and I'm sure when you were growing up as well, there's not, there isn't a lot of autistic representation on TV. There still isn't, like, it's still something that people don't really touch or talk about. And when they do, it's alluded to, not specific.
0: When I when you were talking about, like, the high functioning end of the spectrum, people then have these preconceptions that yeah. that's how everybody is. Yeah. And you forget that actually that's just one extreme example of exactly. some, uh, someone's experience with autism, but the spectrum of that is so much wider and, and that can be quite a dangerous kind of thing to go in because that's when what yeah. people assume that you're going to be like.
2: Yeah, like I, I get the, the reluctance with something as diverse as autism to go into representation and things like that. And I, I get that it's difficult to do because... There are so many different symptoms and there's so many crossovers with things like ADD and ADHD and OCD as well. Like, I get to an extent why people shy away from the representation because it's very, very difficult to do right. And it's very, very difficult to do in a way that is fair representation, is a pejorative representation for something that's so diverse.
0: That's true. And I also really liked what you mentioned with the fact that with movies like Here a While, that it wasn't just necessarily just the fact that he was autistic, but it was the people's reaction to yeah. that around him, accepting or understanding that behaviour. There's that scene when he, he kind of asks some very deep, kind of almost yeah. hurtful questions to Anna Camp's character in the situation yeah. she's in. And you could kind of, you know, that could be really upsetting yeah. to, to her character, but the kind of sensitive way in which he's able to understand him and where he's coming from and the fact that he's not trying to be harmful and just that kind of informed reaction of of seeing people and how they interact with these characters as well, I think it's a great kind of lesson and insight.
2: Definitely because I've done it before where I've been less than tactful in a situation and where I've asked questions that are less than tactful. And like coming out of it, I've been like, oh, why have I asked it that way? that is what representation should be not yeah not just what how his behavior is and how direct he is and everything else but how other people interact with him and just like that that is what's needed i think it's
0: quite interesting kind of then going from mass media things like movies and tv shows to then going to fan fiction which is a very kind of subculture-esque place to be seeing people tackling representation in fan fiction and in stuff that they create for you, like, what does it mean for s- someone to write maybe a piece of fan fiction or something around this topic?
2: Okay, I get the word moving, like, especially when it's done so well and everything like that, because more often than not, in fan fiction, representation is 90% better than what you're ever going to get anywhere else. Like, That's really? the beauty of fanfic. Yeah, that's the beauty of fanfic. It's the same with its representation for um different ethnicities different cultures different sexualities the representation you're getting fanfic is better than you will ever get anywhere else that's just the way it is and i have read like i don't read a lot of them it's, uh, i didn't read a lot of them because it before my diagnosis because it was just a case of it's not something that i went and looked for and i haven't read a lot of them since because again it's, it's such a unique experience and i always worry that like i'm going to get in there and be like well it's not like this and i'm like well that doesn't mean that it isn't for that person dealing with it. I always like the ones where everyone is supportive of this person, that nothing is demonised, that no one ever goes off the rails of this person. It's just a case of this is who they are. People accept them for who they are. And everyone just learns to function with this person as part of the group. Like, and it's, it's so important, especially with fanfic writers. You know, a lot of writers cut their teeth with fanfic. You know, it's, it's how you, you hone your craft. It's why I do it. You know, it's, that sort of like learning different techniques and things, learning what works, learning what you can and can't do, not just on like a a general scale of like things that you can write, things that you shouldn't write, but things that like you personally can and can't do and with your writing and things like that. This is where people come to cut their teeth, to learn the craft and to do it as a hobby and things like that. And to have that outlook that they don't normally have and then to see them using it to represent people that aren't represented and people that aren't represented very well when they are. It's just, it's that sort of, it makes you feel human and included and that's why fandom is so important because it's that sort of like accepting people from wherever they are for whatever reason. Like it's just a bunch of weirdos hanging out and that's the that's the beauty of it. And it's when it's done well, it's it's amazing and it's moving and it's you end up feeling like you do belong.
0: It's one thing that I've kind of really appreciated is the fact that it covers such a wide variety of people and it like you said it is very inclusive. Like there's something very powerful about a fandom where you're all connected by this one thing that you love. From that, you have people creating stories about so many different experiences using the same characters, but telling a different story or telling a different perspective and um, how that can kind of raise awareness or understanding of so many different experiences that people go through. It's amazing because you don't really get that anywhere
2: else. No, you don't. You don't. And it it bothers me no end that you don't get that anywhere else. It's like people are doing it for free. You could do it for money. Like, why aren't you doing more of this?
0: The fact that there's a subculture where you can be quite open about your different experiences. And from my experience anyway, um, it's been quite positive. Of people just accepting you for who you are, and then seeing that reflected in content or whatever, it just kind of strengthens that. The amount of times that people have rewritten Pitch Perfect in a fan fiction, and I, love it. I mean, even if I just take like recently, I read Becker as a cage fighter,
2: and I didn't know I anything about right? cage fighting. Right? <laughs> Such a good thing, though, and I was like, I like this interpretation. <laughs> yeah or this. yeah like,
0: there's there's a like chloe having a real rough home life or yeah. you know then then there's kind of becca with autism or she's got kids with autism or chloe with yeah. a kid with autism like you you have so many different like views of it from them personally experiencing it or pers- experiencing it as a parent with a child or something like that like it not only opens my eyes to lots of different experiences but then also just I would hope touch wood that there's an
2: appreciation there for that yeah, as well. absolutely, yeah, like um it's it's that if you don't have that experience of other people from other walks of life from all different backgrounds, then you can never really like understand and interact, and that's why you get people that are so when you get these extremes of people that are that are antisocial and they're just generally awful human beings, like it's a case of like well then you've not it's because you don't know how to deal with people that aren't like you and that's what the problem is it's that sort of like you don't understand you can never say that you understand what it is to be human because you don't have the life experience of everyone everyone's journey is unique everyone's pathology is unique no two people are the same and that's kind of like the beauty of it but at the same time it's that sort of like you have to learn to understand other people because that's how you function in life like that's how you get by in life is by learning to understand other people, learning that there are these other experiences and fan fiction is so great for that because people can literally just write whatever they want and not worry about it. People can write about their own experiences and frame it through these characters. People can write about experiences that they've not seen. People can create representation and they can create this sort of like dialogue almost of this happens to people or this is what people experience. And it's that sort of, appreciation that other people have and that people read it and then they go away and they think about it and it's like that is so important and which what fan fiction is such an underrated art form in my experience in my opinion because it's allowed to run free it's allowed to roam free people can do whatever they want i don't think that that hollywood and these big companies and everything else would make as much money as they do without the people that write the fanfic without the people that create the fan art and the fan videos and everything else, because that's what keeps, it hey, it's what keeps fan, fandoms alive, it's what keeps people going, but it's that sort of, people find that one common interest and hang on to it and create for it, and that's what keeps people invested.
0: For me, until I had experienced what it was like to be in a fandom, I didn't appreciate the power that was in being part of a community like this. And like you said, there's no gatekeepers. There's no like, there's no one stopping you. It's it's the internet, and you can literally make something and put it out, and it can be from whatever perspective or whatever yeah. storyline you want to t- to make or whatever message you want to put together or whatever thing has formed in your head that you just yeah. need to get out. The power that that has in an individual, mm. like you said, you know, this is mostly online, and especially during the pandemic, this is how people are interacting and. Yeah. You know, I know for myself that the interactions I've had with people in the community have been really helpful and, and the friendships that I've made, the people I've met and had conversations with have been amazing. And you can kind of make connections with people from so many different backgrounds,
2: all because of yeah, this fandom some, and pitch. No, <laughs> some, ner- some singing notes that should have been gay and weren't, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for
0: people who want to kind of check out your work, <laughs> what are you doing and like where can they see it?
2: I just finished um, my big multi-chapter fic it's ridiculously long 150,000 words or something it's ridiculous um, but I just finished um, Forever and Always My Love which was my sequel to the Pitch Perfect 3 rewrite that I did I just I was like if you're gonna have a kidnapping scene do it properly so <laughs> I did um yeah I've just finished fair and always my love so uh I'm really quite proud of that I've been writing it for a few months and it's so long and it's so complicated and I was like I cannot believe it's finished um you finally finished it I did I've been going on about it for months would have finally finished it and I can stop talking about it now allegedly <laughs> um Yeah, so there's there's that on my AO3. I'm also, um, I've got a couple of ideas for Vampire Hunters Incorporated, which was the the series I did during Pitch Perfect Horror Week. Um, I've got a couple of ideas for that coming up in February, March, I should think. So yeah, that as well.
0: So you've got your big fit that's just finished and you've got some ideas that are going to come in the near future.
2: Yeah, I've had a couple of prompts sent in and I've got some ideas for Vampire Hunters and there's an idea I've had for a strawberry fic as well that I'm kind of excited about but yeah (laughs) none of that's coming until february so
0: (laughs) So if they want to check out your work where's the best
2: places to check um i'm ridiculously over obsessed on ao3 um and i post a lot about it on my tumblr which is the same ridiculously over obsessed well thank you so much for talking today and like looking
0: into this topic and i appreciate it's been quite personal so i appreciate the things that you've shared
2: yeah i know it's been great it's been a lot of fun
0: delving into our fan fiction highlights there's so much going on at the moment, I feel so behind because this is so much to read, it's so good starting off with Trouble and Temper by Suit Up on AO3, the summary says Chloe smashes into Becca's car, or Becca smashes into Chloe's car, jury's still out on that, but one thing is sure, sparks fly, not necessarily the good kind It is a pretty fun story. One of the things that I loved about it, this is kind of its own little universe. It starts off straight away with the car crash. And I think as meet cute goes, often with Becca and Chloe, it's quite a cute thing. And, you know, either they kind of fall in love straight away or there's a bit of a will they, won't they? And this caught me by surprise because it starts off with this car crash. And of course, as people are when you're in a car crash. It's quite heated. And so you end up with Becca and Chloe kind of really not liking each other at the beginning and both kind of arguing whose fault it was that this crash happened. And I suppose, especially in those moments, you don't think you're going to meet these people again. You just want to deal with it, move on. Like, the chance that you're going to meet somebody again after a car crash, not that likely. However, they weren't banking on their... uh, good friends being there as well just to kind of lead this story along so you end up with a situation where their best friends end up getting married and they have to be involved in this whole process it's it's actually really a lot of fun the sort of jesting that they do between them Becca's funny because she's classically sarcastic so that just kind of naturally comes out but Chloe caught me by surprise I was like pleasantly surprised with Chloe Beale and her quick tongue in places to just kind of jest with becca and i think a big factor is the fact that neither of them want to admit whether or not they were in the wrong of this car crash and even though the story kind of goes over kind of a long period of time that is the thing that kind of still pops up so then you have them through this whole kind of thing of being involved in this wedding having to interact with each other quite a lot When they don't really, really want to. (laughs) It is a lot of fun. And kind of how it all just trying to transpires. And maybe, you know what, first impressions are not always the best thing to kind of base people on. In this case, it wasn't. I really loved how every now and then when you think, oh, they've moved on from this car crash. No, they might just use it again later on to just swipe in there a bit more one vein that kind of goes through the whole story that I really loved tied it all together was just this idea of like one chance encounter could have an effect down the road in your life and like sounds really deep that doesn't it but like the fact that okay yeah they didn't make the best first impression and who wants to be involved in a car crash like it's not a fun experience even if it's just like a bump and yet that that ended up turning into quite a pivotal moment for a number of characters in the story and how that kind of plays out so it's really fun to kind of see and and see it kind of all go full circle the next story that i wanted to talk about and this one was literally the most bizarre story that i was just like i have to feature this story in the in the highlights is called rubber ducky by 22 underscore ty It's on AO3 and the summary says what happens when the Bellas get caught filling Aubrey's car trunk with rubber duckies? The Bellas blame Becca, then concoct a convoluted plan to get back at her for Aubrey. Or what happens when a bunch of pitch perfect fanatics get in a chat room and start tossing crazy prompt ideas around? So I loved the summary because it was like, this is the result of a number of kind of people getting on a group chat or something, talking about weird stuff to do with pitch birth and ending up with these weird prompt ideas that actually this one resulted in an actual story. And that what a bizarre story it is. I love little one shots that literally are just around the Bellas and the Bellas house. And just some of the like weird college antics that you might get up to and this was like a typical example of that it's the most weirdest idea ever when and i think that's why like when you're scrolling through and you're looking for fix to read i was just like i have to read this story i mean i'm sold already just from the summary alone one thing i will say about this story though is i felt so sorry for becca You don't really get it in there until you delve into it and you see kind of how this is all played out. Chloe and Stacey are mean. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. Chloe and Stacey are mean and I just feel sorry for Becca. It is funny how Becca, I think out of all the characters, ends up being the whipping person. Like if you're going to throw stuff at a character, it's usually Becca. If it's a bizarre thing, Becca just kind of lends to it quite naturally because she ends up probably with the best reactions. (laughs) One thing I would also say about the story as well is the fact that they include some pictures. So just to help you visualise all the different types of rubber duckies, whoever, like, for this little one shot, went through and found pictures of the ducks in, in mention as you're going through the story, so good. It was so good. And, and I also didn't realise that there were so many different types of rubber ducks. Clearly I learned something from this story. And the final story I wanted to give a highlight to is B4L by late 2 Party. This is available on AO3 and it's a big multi-chapter fic. It's like 29 chapters, so there's like a good chug. If you're looking for a fic to really kind of get your teeth into, this is a new one for you. The summary says, after Khaled and Theo make their pitch for Becca and she opens for Khaled, the rest of the Bellas realise two things. They just went through hell together, and they weren't ready to let go. They decide to begin their own label, B for L, Bella's for Life, as they work through their relationship and their trauma. So this is on AO3. This kind of focuses on two relationships. A big one is Junction. So if you're a fan of junksun, there's a big chunk of Junction in there, and then Bacchloe as well. You've got these two relationships, And what I really found intriguing with the story is the pacing of the two relationships as well because they go at two very different paces. And I really enjoyed the beginning of the story. It kind of focuses on Junkson at the beginning. All of this takes place literally kind of at the end of Pitch Perfect 3. Becca just finishing her number. The Bella's kind of on stage and kind of this big hug and this moment where everything's finished. And like... What happens from that moment, and it starts off with Aubrey's perspective. A lot of people have tackled what happens after Pitch Perfect three, and a lot of the things that I've read kind of focus on Becker and Chloe pining and what happens there. But what I loved about this story is a big factor of it was the reaction to after the boat scene because obviously they almost lost their lives; like it was a traumatic moment in a lot of sense. And so kind of going through something like that, how it could make characters act or react, thinking that, you know, I almost lost my life. I I can't let things pass. And so I think Aubrey was a really interesting character to start off the story with, because from someone who's quite regimented and likes a certain amount of order and things to be a certain way, kind of having a little bit of a life moment when she's contemplating everything and... Seeing the roundup of the Bellas and Becca on stage and knowing they're all going to be moving on to their back to their lives, suddenly thinking, Oh, wait, actually, do I want to go back? What if I miss a moment? What if I miss an opportunity when I've just kind of gone through this horrific experience? Do I want to let these things slip anymore? And so you kind of get to see Aubrey's mindset as that plays out and like how she reacts especially to kind of get with emily and it was kind of cute to have a bit more of emily junk in a fic i love it and i do think that aubrey's quite a deep thinker she does think things through probably sometimes to your detriment because you overthink things i was just so caught up in the beginning where she's kind of mulling over where she's at and emily kind of pops up into aubrey's mind and then just like pinpointing all these moments through Emily's existence through the films that showed qualities of Emily. And my mind was like running of all these scenes, and I'm like, oh, Emily was just so good. I miss a good bit of Emily. How Aubrey kind of built those feelings up and got there, and it was just so good. And so you got like really cute Junction moments and like the build-up to getting to Junction. And then the contrast of that, you've again got like the mess that is Chloe after freedom 90 <laughs> it like then tears your heart out because you've got this really cute junction going on and then but Chloe's just a mess because Becca's distraught because Chloe cliffs Chicago and that's all playing out but I loved how they tied the two couples together through Aubrey and Becca and then you had like Becca seeking Aubrey's advice with regards to DJ Khaled and like how do you move forward and navigate this tricky kind of new direction that life's going in, how they end up kind of coming together and doing that between them. It's just a lot of fun and I, I loved it being a completely new take on what could have happened after pitch Perfect three. Those are our thick highlights for this week. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you enjoyed the yes episode. I definitely enjoyed putting it together and kind of learning a lot more about autism especially and I hope that we kind of did a good job trying to just kind of represent a topic that I don't know that much about. But I know that being able to read different things in fan fiction does a lot for me. And I love just seeing all the different aspects of life that can be represented through a fic. And who knows if there's anything you'd love to be covered in the podcast, because that this episode came about from somebody suggesting it to me. Let me know. I'd love to put something together. If you want to keep up to date with the podcast, you can. We are on Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just look for the Pitch Slapped pod. And also, a number of you are asking if we had any kind of ko fi page. So I actually set up a ko fi for Pitch Slapped. So if you did fancy contributing to the podcast, you can. We've kind of set it up so that we can kind of keep this going. Keep making the Pitch Perfect podcast. We love it. And I appreciate all of your support as we put this podcast together. I love putting it together every single week. I'll see you next time, Pitchers.